Alright. Well I've been uh, I've been looking forward. Last time I had it on too long, then I turned it off when I should have it on. So <laughs> thanks for your patience. So I've been looking forward to this. We're starting uh, a new series in First Peter. Bill spoke about uh, this last week about our hope in heaven, and we're going to continue in First Peter. Um, but before we open our Bibles, um, you know, it's interesting as I think about uh, Peter as a disciple of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus. He was there at the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus was sharing about the reality of the kingdom and its transforming power, its work, and I don't think Peter had any idea uh, what was going to happen in his life uh, in the years to come, but, but God began that work in Peter's heart uh, when Jesus first called Peter to himself. I want to talk a little bit about Peter, but first I want to share an observation, and maybe you've had this observation as well, but I, I've noticed that so much of this life can feel like we have way too much or way too little. Have you sensed that, felt that? Have you felt like you've been overwhelmed with too much or not had enough at certain times? And this world makes a big deal of having too much or not enough. I grew up in, uh, in South America. A lot of my younger childhood years were in South America. I was born in Colorado. And uh, we were coming back after four years in South America to go live in Colorado for a year. And, uh, and so in, in South America, um, I was pretty used to going to the grocery store and I knew what that experience was like. And so I'd go with my mom and, and it was in a small little tight packed room just filled with all kinds of different kinds of foods. Um, just kind of not real orderly, but everything just kind of stacked on each other. And then I love breakfast cereal, so I love going to the breakfast area and there was one little shelf with maybe two or three options of cereal and so we usually got cornflakes and then maybe another one like Rice Krispies or something but but that was that was it so when we would come home back here to the United States we would always stop in Miami and Miami is an impressive city so as a as a 11 12 year old I was always like wow look at all those cars and the highways and stuff in Miami but uh, I will never forget walking into a grocery store in Miami after four years being in South America and uh, and and, you know in South America you can't hide anywhere but the first thing I noticed in the grocery store is man I could I could really get lost in this place it's huge (laughs) but what really struck me was we got to the cereal aisle and my mouth just dropped open it's like because as far as I could see was every kind of cereal that you could ever even come up with or imagine I just I couldn't even enter my mind that you could have that many choices of breakfast cereal <laughs> and it just blew me away it, it felt like way too much it was overwhelming it was shocking for me at that stage in my life now you might laugh at that because you know that's just normal but but there's things in life that overwhelm us that shock us whether it's too much or too little and this world because we live in a world that has a philosophy that has in a sense denied God and his existence and so many people live as if there was no God and so we've been told in our world system that we are just a random bunch of atoms that somehow by accident have come together and so meaning purpose there's there's just no place for that there's a lack of that and so people are grasping for meaning and purpose and lots of things And it shows up in material things and consumerism and possessions. And so we always have this 
message or this feeling or this sense in our world that you have to have more or you have to have better or you don't have enough. And so we live in this world that's filled with those messages and that philosophy and that idea, which is so opposite of what God has revealed to us that he made the world, that he designed us with meaning and purpose and that he's embedded a plan into our very existence. And so that changes everything when we realize who God is and what he's doing. But because we live in a world that doesn't know God or hasn't received his message of who he is, people are grasping at everything. And so we are filled with a world of too much or too little. Also, some of you might have a smartphone. And uh, if you think about what's at your fingertips is more information than all of human history has ever had at just a click of a button. And so we are inundated with information all kinds of information about all kinds of things that are happening or, 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 or different things that we can learn about. And so it's overwhelming. We're, we're inundated with information. In the news, we hear about all the things that happen. And what's happened in our society is this incredible confusion and anxiety and this almost paralyzed sense of how do we make decisions with so much information at our fingertips. It's too much. <laughs> Too much information, but too little understanding or knowledge in our world. And we see that. We see that all around us. And so the question I think I want to pose for us as we dive into First Peter is, how do, we, how do we live in a world with too much and too little? And how can we have hope in a God who says, I am enough. <laughs> I am enough. And that he is enough for us, that we can live with satisfied, fulfilled kind of lives in this world of confusion and of too much and too little. Peter, I think, understood that struggle. Peter, uh, we know probably more about than any of the other disciples because uh, he had a propensity to be up front, to be, out, to be loud, to put himself out there. And so the other disciples often wrote about him and not always in glowing terms. <laughs> in fact, they, they kind of like to highlight some of his weaknesses. So we, we know a lot about Peter, but what we, what we also know, what the Bible doesn't say, but we've learned is that fishermen in that time period when Peter was uh, uh, living was not a glamorous job. It wasn't like uh, today when you say, I'm going to go fishing, it's a good thing or it's a, it's a nice thing to go out and, and go fishing because the way they had that system back then is Herod or whoever was in charge had middlemen and pretty much Herod took all the profits. And so these, it was almost like an indentured type, uh, feudalistic type system where these people, they would labor and they would work hard, but they would see very, very little fruit of their labor. They would get very little money. And so Peter probably lived very impoverished, but he had a role. He had a place. So he had food. He had basic sustenance, but very little else. And so this life of being a fisherman was not easy. It meant being up all night. It meant being out on the lake in the storms. It meant also that they had to process all the fish. How many of you have cleaned a fish? <laughs> it's not as pleasant, right? And you can get through one or two, but can you imagine doing that all day with hundreds and hundreds of fish over and over and over again? And so this was not an easy ro role. This wasn't an easy life. It was rough. 
It was tough. And so I imagine Peter was gruff. And I'm sure he went to synagogue. He went to church. I'm sure he, he knew about God, but he wouldn't have been the good Sunday school guy necessarily, right? He was, he was a fisherman, and he lived a hard life. In fact, when Jesus first came to him, Peter had been up all night, and he hadn't caught any fish. He didn't have enough. And I'm sure he was frustrated and, and angry and all these things. And Jesus says, hey, go back out and throw your nets on the other side of the boat. <laughs> and I'm sure Peter's saying, what? <laughs> Who are you? But he did it and they had too much fish. Their boats were overwhelmed with fish. And so he came back and he looked at Jesus and he says he fell on his knees and said, I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. I don't deserve to be with you, Jesus. But you know what's so cool? Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Peter, I am calling you to be my follower and to become a fisher of men. I will make you a fisher of men. Jesus knew Peter's name. And I, I love this fact that Jesus came representing God as a God not far off but personable. He knew Peter. He loved Peter. And he called Peter. He gave Peter dignity, a purpose, meaning. And that is so insightful and so that changed Peter's life his life was never the same he was no longer just a fisherman I'm sure he continued to fish and provide for his family that way but now he was a disciple he was a follower of Jesus he had dignity he had a purpose and we know later at the end after Jesus had resurrected and uh, he came to his disciples and he came to Peter because remember Peter had denied Jesus and Jesus said Peter do you love me and he said feed my sheep three times and he told Peter that he was going to suffer that he was going to suffer but we also know in John that Jesus breathed over his disciples and he says as my father has sent me I am sending you and so he he again called Peter to that high calling of being a representative of Jesus in this world and it says Jesus breathed on them and that they receive the Holy Spirit. And so we, what we see in Peter is a life of too much and too little. Yet in Jesus he found enough. He found satisfaction. He found fulfillment. And he found hope. And so we're going to read in 1 Peter. And by the way, Peter probably couldn't write or read. But we have three books of the Bible. The Gospel of John. Or, I mean, sorry, the Gospel of Mark, which is attributed to Peter in the first and second Peter. So Peter probably dictated these. He spoke them and someone wrote down his words. And this is what he says in First Peter, starting in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trial. Are you here this morning going through some kind of trial, some kind of grief? This is what he says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed though you have not seen him you love him 
And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Would you join me in praying? Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, you know what's too much in the lives of those here. And you know what's too little. You know what's lacking. You know those who are at the end of their paycheck or maybe at the end of their energy or don't know what to do. God, you know. And God, you speak to us these words this morning because you love us and you know our name and you call us just as you called Peter to come and be our followers and that you promise to transform, that you will make us into something, into someone that, Lord, you will be glorified in and through. Lord, bless your word as we think about it and reflect upon it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So how do we live in a world with too much and too little? How do we live with hope? So this week, as I began to sit down and prepare this message, I'd come off of last weekend, a wonderful, beautiful retreat with the elders and their wives. We uh, got away to seek God together, and it was such an encouraging and such a blessed time in God's presence and with each other. And as I began to, this week to open this passage and prepare, um, I first had a meeting with someone, and I had some phone calls and emails, and, and um, I was really discouraged. <laughs> I had a meeting where our said, uh, realized our finances were down as a church. I had uh, some bad news given about uh, some different things that had happened. I had gotten an email that someone was uh, leaving the church. And so I was starting the week just saying, oh man, this is horrible. And, and then I looked at the message uh, that I had titled this sermon series, Jesus is Enough. <laughs> and I said, wow, I need that message right now. I need that. And so I had to begin with a cry saying, God, Preach to me, make this a reality in my heart right now that you are enough for my life. And so I'm sure my week, it wasn't the only one that maybe started off rough. I think some of you maybe got some bad news this week. And so what do we do? And I think Peter models something for us in verse 3. What does he say? He says, praise be to God. <laughs> praise be to God. And what I realized as I, as I read that is, is Peter is inviting us to get our eyes off ourselves and our circumstances and our troubles and get our eyes on the one who holds everything together. On the way down to, or on the way up to church, I had my kids and they were talking about the sun. And they were talking about, hey, did God make the sun? And, and so we were talking about the sun and I went to go pray by the river and I looked up at the sun and I said, that's amazing. How beautiful, how powerful, how wonderful it is to have light and life because of the sun. And God, you made that sun. It's glorious. It's beautiful. God, you are glorious. You are beautiful. And so as we begin to get our eyes off ourselves and to praise God, things change. And so maybe right now, turn to your neighbor and say, let's praise God. <laughs> turn to your neighbor and say, let's praise God. Let's praise God. Let's praise God. He is worthy of our praise because what does Peter say? It says, he says he is great in mercy because when Peter, if you remember, got out of that boat 
And I don't know why he got out of the boat. No one else got out of the boat, but Peter got out of the boat. And he is there in the storm and the wind and the waves, and Jesus is coming towards him, and he's looking and he's sinking. What does Jesus do? He reaches out his hand and he grabs hold of Peter. And so Peter, as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he stayed afloat. But as he began to sink, Jesus didn't scold him. He reached down and he saved him. And that is what God is revealing to us in the Bible is God is not here to condemn us. He's here to save us. His intention is good for our lives. It's to, it's to make us whole, to make us well, to redeem and to save and to forgive and to make new. And that's why Peter says, praise God, because when we get our eyes off ourselves and we get them onto God, we see who he is. We see his glory, his goodness, his grace, his love, and what he's doing. He's giving us a new birth. He's making us into new kinds of people. And Peter experienced that. In the middle of the storm, he realized that Jesus was there to save him because he grabbed him and he held him. And that's what God is doing to us. And even in the middle of our trials and our difficulty, God is there. He's there to save us. And he's there to transform us, to make us into new kinds of people. Because what does Jesus say to Peter? He says, don't be afraid. (laughs) Don't be fearful. I'm here. I've got you. And that is what God is doing in our lives. He's changing us and transforming us from fear into love. And we know that we're loved and we know that God has a purpose and there's meaning in our lives. And so that's why Peter says, praise God, (laughs) praise Him. And then we begin to see what God is doing in our world, in our lives, and He's giving us hope. He's given us hope. And that's why as we begin this series over the next six, seven weeks, we're going to be looking at hope. And it's an eternal kind of hope. And Bill last week talked about the reality of heaven and the hope that is there. And this morning I want to outline three things that Peter points out to us in this passage. One is that we have a resurrection hope. A resurrection hope. And so not only does Jesus come to save us, but he came to bring resurrection power into our lives, into our world. You see... Jesus experienced everything that we experienced, hunger, thirst, difficulty, lack, too much. He experienced it all. But Jesus faced all that, went through all that, and he even went to death. The worst thing that can happen to us, he went to that place and he overcame it. He gave us the victory as we, as we sang this morning. God is making dead things alive. He's unleashing the power of the resurrection. And this is going to be true for all of us who have our faith in Jesus that we will be resurrected physically. Because the resurrection of Jesus wasn't just a spiritual resurrection, it was a physical resurrection. The disciples could touch him. They could hear him. They watched him eat the fish. (laughs) And so our salvation, our resurrection is a physical salvation. It's a physical resurrection. Our bodies will be made new. But it's also a redeeming resurrection in that the dead things in our lives, God is making alive. The dead things in our lives, God is making alive. And so we look and we examine our lives, we see dead things. Maybe there's sickness. Maybe your marriage needs a resurrection. Maybe your relationships are broken. Maybe it's your career. Maybe there's an addiction or struggle in your life. And, and these are dead things that God wants to redeem and transform so that they become life-giving things in your life. 
That is the resurrection power at work through the Holy Spirit. And so there's a resurrection hope. Also, there's an inheritance hope. Throughout this sermon series over the next six, seven weeks, we're going to be having real-life stories through video uh, as part of the sermons. And, and we have one this morning. And uh, the reason we're going to share these is because this isn't just an academic information. This is a reality of what God is doing. <laughs> he is producing this kind of hope in real people's lives. And I want you to be encouraged that, of that reality that God is working. He's moving in people's lives. He's changing things. He's giving them hope. And so we have a resurrection hope. We have an inheritance hope. In this world, a lot of people are holding on to temporary things, physical things. They're looking for significance and meaning and things that don't last. But what does Peter say? He says, in Jesus, we have an inheritance that is kept in heaven for for you and it will not perish, it will not spoil, it will not fade, it cannot be taken away. I'm going to have a video here that uh, uh, graciously Marsha um, gave me permission to share. It's, it's Pastor Steve. And for those of you who are new to Rimrock, he was the pastor here uh, before. And uh, he had a battle with cancer. And it was difficult. But in that battle, God gave Steve hope and faith to share with you and to share with all of us about the reality of what Jesus can do and what he does in our lives. And so I want us to watch this video and see what he shares with us. Like he's pure good, you know? And he's the only one who's purely good, right? And so, and he's good to not just to me, but he's good to Claire. And he has eternal plans that are good for Claire. And so if he thought that somehow the best thing for Claire was that I would live and see, you know, the other kids or whatever than I would because he has fairly good plans for you. But if somehow he knows that in the scope of eternity we're going to spend time together forever and ever and the good the pure good no evil is for him to take me home at this time in your life somehow he makes it all work out. And I, I don't understand how he makes it all work out. So I, I know he does. I just trust that he does. So it's not just me going to heaven, but it's also good for Marsha. And if God had something better for her with me and her life for the next how many years, he would do it. And if he doesn't, because it's best for her. Can I go home? Can I go home? Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. That's a testimony of a man who staked his hope on Jesus Christ. An inheritance that won't spoil, fade, or be taken away. Even death cannot take away our hope. 
So the invitation of how do we, how do we live in this world of trouble, of storm, of trial? We find our hope in Jesus. And the third hope that we see in Pete, that Peter points us to here is salvation hope. Jesus, the resurrected king, the one who gives us an inheritance that can never be taken away. We place our trust in him, has given us salvation. And so we trust, we believe, we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we believe that he's forgiven us of all of our sins and that he has rescued us. <laughs> he's redeemed us. He's made us new. He's doing a new work in our lives. And it says in the Bible that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And we're going to take communion this morning because this is what Jesus gave us to remind us of of the hope that we have, the resurrection, the inheritance, the salvation (laughs) that's real, that's tangible, that's physical. It's a reality that God is doing. And this meal that we take is for disciples, for followers of Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to invite you. It's not too late. (laughs) You can have that hope, that assurance, that rest that God has you, that he can handle whatever comes your way, that he will forgive you, that he will make you new. Trust him, believe in him, and today is the day of salvation. But if you're a follower of Christ today, this is a celebration, and it's a reminder of the hope that we have, of what Christ has provided for us, what we could never do on our own, God has done for us. And so as, I, as we get ready to distribute, I wanna invite the, the servers to come on up and we're gonna take that bread and that cup and I want you just to hold it and we're gonna take it all together. But this is what the old hymn says, I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small, our strength is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me Thine all in all, Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it, he washed it as white as snow.